Well, good morning. How are you guys? Good. It's good to see you. You know, it's a lively crowd for, you know, we have probably 30 to 40 folks gone today to uh, the Wild Adventure Camp up in Oregon uh, with all of our youth. So, uh, great opportunity. And Ryan mentioned that earlier to continue to pray for them uh, this week. The camp, go, camp started yesterday and goes through Wednesday. So, if you keep them in your prayers and just the students' lives that they're open to hearing the gospel, um, it's just a great camp. I, I just, of course, I've been involved in that for a lot uh, of my life, too. Um, but just seeing, what's that? I started it, yeah. God started it. But, but yeah, but Chase, you know, Chase and Alistair up there now, and they're leading uh, in awesome ways um, to see guys like Alistair, who are, who's a guest speaker at camp this week, preaching uh, the word actually this morning as well. So uh, neat to see those, those guys relate to the youth and to, to drive them and draw them closer to Jesus. So that's what it's all about, right? We are in Jonah. Go figure. Jonah chapter 1. Uh, just if you have a Bible, put your ribbon in there. Leave it there because we're going to be there for the next uh, seven weeks at least. And uh, it's a, it's a great uh, great book to read. I, I mentioned last week as I talked about Jonah and being in this in this passage, uh, it was not my choice to go there. I just you know I, I let it let it go to God. I said God, where do you want us to go? We just finished Nehemiah, and I know we're going to do another book soon. Um, I'm thinking Romans, or I'm thinking you know let's let's spend two years on Romans, right? Or let's let's go to Ephesians, something really just. Guys, New Testament, gospel, Christ-centered stuff. I'm, I'm, let's go New Testament next. And I just left it up to him. And, and, and Jonah was one of the books that just, it just like was in my face all the time. Jonah, just do Jonah. We want to do Jonah. And I, I finally got the point. I'm like, okay, we'll do Jonah. And I'd read the book. You know, I'd know, I know the story, but I never studied it in depth. So as I told you last week, too, it's, it's, it's so great being able to say, okay, God, where do we need to go as a church? Where do you want us to be? And, and this is where he wants us. And I need you to understand and continually, continually understand this. I am not watching you all week long, okay? As, as, as some of you have said that before, you saw what I did this week. You, you, this sermon was just for me, wasn't it? No, I did not write this sermon for you. In fact, God was writing this for me. So that's what happens. As I study the scriptures, I, as I pour my heart into that, he pours his heart into me as well. And uh, much of what is learned is a surprise to me initially, and I have to work through that as well. So we are all in this together as God's word is presented. We are learning and growing from the study, from the, the listening to uh, of God's word. And uh, what? Hope, hope you don't I step on your toes. I hope I don't. Yeah. Right. That's right. If I say something you don't like, too bad. No. Because God said it to me first. Right. It's God's message. But it's true. Sometimes when we when we study scripture like this, and this text has a figure that is very rebellious, right, and goes against the grain of God. So uh, we we have to identify ourselves in this story and put ourselves in that place. And, and we have to learn more about the character and nature of God so that we can respond appropriately to him. Amen? Uh, there's no expectation from me, from you, to each other. This is about our relationship with God and how we are to respond to his scandalous grace. And, and uh, the sermon of the series is called Jonah's God's Scandalous Grace because we really see grace showing up in places like, uh, shouldn't be grace giving right there. We shouldn't see grace right here. God, this is not about, this is a bad time for grace. You know, oh, I don't want your grace showing up like this. And it's scandalous the way God continues to relentlessly pursue his bride, his people, with his grace and with his love. And, and you and I have, have sometimes nothing to do with that except to bask in that grace, to, to repent of where we were and to return to him and as he lavishes it on us, okay? So I, I mentioned a little bit of the introduction uh, last week. I'll mention just a brief bit of that today. Um, Jonah was a book likely written by the prophet Jonah or by someone that was really close to Jonah or close to the story and events. 
um, that was maybe there. Obviously, Scripture is inspired by God's Spirit, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. So whoever penned it, whatever, whatever time frame it was, uh, it was the truth, and it was from God's Holy Spirit. Uh, but likely people around that time and event. The time and event happened around uh, the early 8th century B.C. is when that was, when Jonah lived. Jonah was a, a prophet, and we say, I talked about last week, when we talk about a minor prophet, he's a minor prophet, right? It was not that he was less of a prophet than like Elijah or Elisha or Isaiah or Jeremiah. It's that his book named after him is written and smaller. Okay, so minor prophets are the ones that are small books. Major prophets are the ones that are long books. But they are all equally prophets of God. I, I said last week, too, it was, it was likely, and we don't know for sure, but it was likely because of the time period uh, that he was kind of an apprentice to Elijah and Elisha. So this was a, a guy who had some great teachers, great mentors. Um, I mentioned last week as well that we, we think, you know, this rebellious guy, God hears, he hears God's call to go to Nineveh and preach God's mercy and a scandalous grace upon them because judgment's coming and they need to bask in God's mercy. And he says, no way, I'm out of here. We think, oh, he's a rookie. He's running from God. He really doesn't get it. But this is a guy who did get it. He was not a rookie, and he was, he was relying on his past successes, his past spiritual health to be what, what stabilized him for that day and gave him that peace for that day, but that didn't happen, and he ran from God in the moment. So one of the things we can learn from last week, we talked about as we run away from God, what, the way that shows up is that we rely on, oftentimes, our past successes or God's past successes in our story, right, past testimonies of what God has done. Instead of saying, you know what, God's doing this today because I am abiding in him, I am trusting him, and I am obeying him today. My testimony should not be the same story every time someone asks me. Otherwise, I'm not growing, and God's, I'm not allowing God to do something in my life. I'm not just going to start with the time I got saved and then end in the time I was in junior high or got called into ministry. My testimony should be about what happened today, what happened this morning, how is God providing and, and showing up in your life? How is God leading you? How are we growing, right? That's what we are to be. Whether we're old or young, it doesn't matter. Whether we're seasoned or not seasoned, uh, we need to be abiding in God, trusting and obeying in Him. So, you know, the question was asked, what, what is this book about? And some say, well, it's, it's always about, you know, the final, the final graph pictures we see in children's church and uh, in our Sunday school, children's Sunday school classes. Uh, you guys remember those? Flannel graph? Raise your hand if you remember that. Okay, so those that don't, it was a piece of flannel, right? And that, or, or like, a, what do you call this stuff on a pool table? Felt, right? And you, you had little characters that would stick on there because they were sticky. Uh, flannel, right? And they tell the story of the gospel or the story of Jonah. And of course, in the story of Jonah, you have a big old honking fish, right? Well, it's a whale, but it was a fish, right? And that fish was the fish that swallowed up Jonah, and you just put the fish over the top of Jonah so he goes away, and it tells a story. So we tell this story of, of a guy who disobeyed God and got swallowed up by a fish. And we kind of leave it there sometimes. But really, this book, what it's about is a story of a, a guy, a man that was a man of God, who rebelled against what God would have him do, and through a journey of painful, painful experiences, came to know and understand the character and nature of God more and more. And, and that is to say, even as we finish this book in seven or eight weeks, we, Jonah doesn't necessarily get it then even. It may not be until it's penned that he finally did business with God and said, okay, God, I understand your scandalous mercy. I understand your grace, and I'm going I'm to show that to the world. All of my baggage and carry-ons and scars and everything, too, I'll show that to the world because your grace is so sufficient and so satisfying. This story is about God's scandalous, scandalous grace as he pursues us. 
So last week we talked about rebellion and the dangers of rebellion as we looked at verses 1 through 3. And today we're looking at verses 4 through 10. And we're going to look at the grace that God gives us even in the middle of a storm. There are storms in this life and we know that we are going to weather them or we are weathering them or we just got done weathering one. God, God uses those storms and sometimes God brings those storms so that we can see his grace. So today we're going to see that the message from Jonah to us is that we will always that we should always try to avoid rebellion, avoid sin, right? But we, but we can't always do that. And while we may want to try to avoid that and while we slip into sin or rebellion, the message is that God's unrelenting, scandalous grace is, is there to be bestowed upon us. And that as we receive God's grace, it is, it is our job to not go back there, but to continue to repent and return to the Lord and shine that grace into the world that needs to know Jesus. We are, we are ambassadors of Christ because he has done a work inside of us. And everything that, that happens in our life, all the storms that happen in our life, in our life all, even, even through the sin and rebellion in our life, God wants to use that to draw us back to him and point people to the grace in the cross. That he is a merciful, loving God and wanting to pursue people, that they would have a relationship with him for eternity. All right, so we're going to pray and we're going to start in Jonah 1, beginning in verse 4, okay? Let's pray. God, you are so gracious to us. As we, as we come together as your church, as your, as your children, we realize just how merciful you are. We look around and we see and know the depth of the sin that's in our lives and, and in others' lives. We've seen the place, the mire that you've pulled us out of, and we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for the cross because through the cross you've shown us the mercy of God and the wrath of God at the same time being poured out on Jesus and through Jesus that we might, we might see and know forgiveness of our sin. And we might see and know a right relationship with God the Father. God, thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that as we worship you and we sing, we can sing songs that point to the cross and that, that lead us to the cross. We can exalt you, Jesus, because your mercy, your grace is so satisfying and so sufficient. We run to you and cling to you. We pray as we open your word today that you would inspire our hearts, that you would open our hearts and minds to receive what you'd have for us. That, God, all of us are in different, in different places in this story and different, different places in our own faith journey. But, God, I pray that you would challenge us and change us, that we would be molded and conformed in the, into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we're in Jonah chapter 1. We'll start in verse 4. The question then is, how is grace seen in the storm or during the storm? We saw that last week Jonah had said no to God. God said, get up. And Jonah said no and went down. Right? He went down and used that language, going down to Joppa, down into the ship. Eventually, we're going to see him go down deeper into the ship and go down eventually into the water and then into a, into a fish. Right? So this contrast was, was there on purpose, that God said, get up, arise, I'm calling you to something. And he said he went down. And this downward path was a spiral that went to despair and ultimately can go to destruction is where he goes. And what we, what we ended with was, was him there thinking he had it made. He had it made in the shade, and he was heading out to a place that God wouldn't even be, and it didn't, wouldn't matter where he was. He was going to escape from God's presence. And then in verse 4, it says this, Then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. So number one is this, how, how is grace seen? It's seen, number one, then the Lord. We have to start there, amen? We start with the Lord. It's not just these little details or these little things that happen. It is that we acknowledge the Lord is up to something. 
that God is going to do something amazing amongst us and in us and through us. And if we're rebelling from God, that God is going to draw us back to him, even using circumstances like a storm that's threatening to break apart a ship. You know, I've said this before, and I used to be in this camp where I was, I said, you know, I, I don't believe that God, God wants bad things to happen. He doesn't want that. He doesn't make those things occur. You know, sure, he allows it because they happen, right? So he has to allow it. But I, I'm, I'm at that place, too, as I study Scripture, I study the heart of God, the grace of God. See, I think the grace of God, sometimes I think that, that makes God passive. It makes God not someone that's going to really kind of ju- judge what we're doing, and it makes God passive. I, I'm just gracious. I'll, I love you. I'll let you do what you want. But since I became a parent, that doesn't work. <laughs> right? It doesn't work. You, I can't let my kids do whatever they want. I have to interact with them, and my grace, my love for them, shows up in what? My disciplining them, my actions towards them, the way I help conduct business. Sometimes I hurl a storm at my kids because they need a storm to understand that, that there's mercy and love there, but there's correction, and you're not where you should be. So I'm at the place now where I know and understand that God doesn't only allow bad things to happen and use them for our benefit, but sometimes, listen church, sometimes God creates them so that we would get a wake-up call. And we don't like to hear that. We think that that, I like the passive God. I like the God that just sits there and lets me run amok. No, really that's not something you like. Think about children who have been raised that way. I was, I was a youth pastor. I know what that's like. I've, I've dealt with tons of students who were raised that way. Go ahead and run amok. Do what you want. They, they were not grateful for that. They resented their parents for that. They longed for correction. They longed for discipline. They longed for someone to tell them, no, here is a boundary. You and I are the same way. We were created that way. To long for someone to give us a boundary, for someone to give us a set of parameters to live by, to guide our life. And that someone is, in very, is a very, very active God. And he's doing that. So the scripture says, and then God. We need to understand that his grace shows up because he shows up. God, it says, hurled a storm at Jonah. Hurled a storm. And, and the same verbiage is used later on in the text, but it's also used for a javelin thrower. That would throw a javelin with precision. See, God just didn't hurl a storm uh, to the Mediterranean. Right? He, he, he saw smaller than that. He did, not just the, the area he was in. He, he saw the boat. He saw the hole. He saw the depths of the hole. He saw Jonah, and he saw his heart and the depths there, and he hurled the storm there. Jo- Jonah, think, think about Jonah. Jonah thought he was on that ship. He, he ran from God. He knew he was going in a downward path, but he got on that ship and set sail out. And he, and he think, just think he stretched his arms, right? He, Stretched and he yawned. Oh, it's so nice to be free from what God wanted me to do. I hate those Ninevites. I'm so glad I'm here. And he laid down in his bunk and he went to sleep, thinking, oh, I've got it made in the shade. We are golden. In a, in a, in a long while, we're going to reach a destination that I will just be, you know, drinking cocktails on the beach and not have to worry about God anymore. That's where he wanted to go, away from the Lord's presence. And then God took a breath. And then he exhaled onto Jonah, reminding Jonah in the story, reminding Jonah that I am the Lord. I have asked you to do something. This is about my will being completed and you are going against that. He stopped Jonah and stopped the ship dead in its tracks. 
I talked about this discipline, right? We, we discipline our children because we love our children. We think hurling a storm at someone is, is aggressive and we should be passive, Jesus, right? Be passive, please. Just sit on the sidelines and let me do my thing. And Hebrews 6, or 12, 6 tells us differently. It says, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and punishes every son that he receives. See, that is love. That is God's scandalous grace that he will discipline us. He'll wake us up. He'll shake us. He'll give us a spanking if we need it. He'll send us to our room to think about it. But ultimately, God will wrap us up in his arms and say, I'm your father, and this is how I want you to behave. This is what I want you to do. God's love is relentless, and he desires to pursue and draw us back to himself. And in the middle of a storm that he throws at us, that he hurls at us, in the middle of that storm, he is showing us how much we need him and how much he loves us. I want you to think about this. God threw this storm, hurled the storm at the ship. And it said so much so that what? It was going to break apart the ship. When Jonah went down to the ship and he hired the ship or the place at least, but he hired this crew and the ship to sail away. Jonah was resting in his disobedience and resting and placing his trust in this thing this item, this ship that would carry him to safety. And God said, do not put your trust in that. I'm going to throw something at you that's going to break that up. So the question for you and I to think about, in the middle of a storm, the grace that God's giving us is potentially a breakup that has to happen. And maybe it is a breakup of a relationship, right? Maybe it is you've been dating someone that you shouldn't be dating and that you understand the depth of where that's taking you. Right? But what, whatever it is, a breakup, what circumstance, what, what thing, what people, what priority are you placing your trust in that's driving you away from the Lord? Let the storm break that apart so that you can be free again. God is drawing us back to himself. He wants us to repent and to return back to him. And he'll use a storm by his grace to draw us to return to him, to repent and return. Number two, <clears throat> how do we see grace in the storm? Well, unbelievers, this is what we see. Unbelievers will seek while we're asleep. Unbelievers will seek. When it, see, when a storm rages, rages, unbelievers are like, oh, no. And Jonah is, meanwhile, sleeping in the, in the bottom of the ship. Let's look at verse 5. The sailors were afraid. So this, this huge storm that was hurled at the ship comes, and they were afraid. And each one cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo or hurled the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Now listen, this is regular uh, operating procedure for people. When, When storms come, when life gets really hard, when I'm in distress, what do I do? I seek out, I cry out, something, someone save me. It's just like the world do that. You and I should not be like that. You and I should be the epitome of folks who always are trusting in the Lord, that we always are praying to God. We're always resting in His providence and His, in His provision for our life. Not just the times that are hard, when times, when times get hard. See, unbelievers seek in times that, when, when times get hard. Believers, Christ followers, seek all the time. They're always seeking to be in the presence of God. But you see, they, they, it's like, just like the world, right? They, they don't know God. They want to seek for an answer or a sign or some God, though, under these times of duress and exigent circumstances. 
And in this display of what they do and how they seek, we see that God is trying to get their attention too and reveal His grace. God wants them to know who He is. God wants them to receive this mercy and grace. So so in the middle of life's problems and worries, there's a world of people out there that are asking the question, what do I do? Where is the hope? How can I I get rescued from this? There are people in our lives in duress crying out for rescue, crying out to some Savior. God forbid that we're asleep in the bottom of the ship. You see, that's kind of a wake-up call for us, isn't it? That we would get up, we would rise up, and we would pray and we would preach and we would share the hope that is in Jesus Christ with the world. God is getting their attention. Jonah was neglecting his duty to get up and pray and to preach and to share hope. He was asleep. And the world still cries out. The world, in Romans says, the world looks at creation and, and can see and know and understand there is a God. It's, it's our job to help point them to the God who created that. Our God, who bestows mercy and mercy and mercy to them. What God's grace will continually say is nothing is going to weigh a person down heavier than the burden of sin. You see that imagery in there that they cast off the extra supplies because it was a heavy burden. There was a weight going on in their heart. There was something happening that God was revealing himself to them, and Jonah was asleep. You see, this heavy burden of sin that can be lifted and this place of rest that we can find is through Jesus Christ. And for you and I who have found that, we are the ones that God wants to use to say it to the world. God wants to use you to let the world know about him. It's, it's crazy amazing. We, I had this discussion this morning we're, a little bit. We're talking about free, free will and predestination and God's electing us and God's choosing us and God's saving us. But if you look, look at every instance in the Bible of salvation occurring, every instance in the Bible where someone comes to know Jesus, yes, it is by the power of God that someone is saved, but every instance in the Bible, someone told them about Jesus. Someone said, this is important and grace is sufficient. Someone that wasn't asleep stood up and said, I will tell about Jesus. I will let them know about his scandalous grace that can even save them. See, it should be said through us, we are God's messengers of his grace. We are the ones who have tasted and seen. The sleeper doesn't pray for the lost and doesn't stand up and share the hope they have in Christ. People need Jesus, and you and I need to be awake for that. God's grace is calling us to wake up. That leads us to number three. In the middle of the storm, number three, grace cries out. Grace cries out. Let's look at verse six. So they got scared and they threw stuff off the vessel and, and Jonah was asleep in the bottom. They were praying to whatever God they could figure out or think of. And verse, verse six says this. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we will not perish. Grace cries out. In the middle of a storm, in the middle of a time of desperate need, God used someone as like an unbeliever to point out to Jonah to get up, wake up. The world is crying out, saying, I need a Savior. We need to know this grace. Maybe God will consider us and we won't perish. 
God continued to use to pursue Jonah by using a, the captain of the ship as an alarm clock. Get up. This is not a time where you should be sleeping. It was a desperate and helpless time. Listen, the world does not need a church of the world. They already have that. The world needs the church to be the church of Jesus, the church of grace, the church that is willing to stand up and show the world who the Savior is. See, the world does not know God. The world does not know the truth of God's ways. The world does not know how to find salvation from heaven. And it's for these purposes that you and I exist. It was for this purpose that Jonah existed. And the world begs us, crying out, please show me. Please, please show me. And you and I, we, we kind of cower back in fear. Well, I don't want to disrupt what they're doing. Deep down, they're longing and crying out to God. They're longing and crying out to God. They need a Savior just as much as you needed a Savior, just as much as I needed a Savior. They need a Savior. And yeah, you're right. Some people will not respond. Some people will reject. But that is not on you. What's on you and I is to be faithful to share. Their decision is on them. And we just are faithful to share. As those who have received God's grace, we must be deliberate, especially in times of trial and adversity and poverty or anxiety, to show the world how the grace of God and our faith in Christ keeps us grounded and keeps us in perfect peace, patience, and in fellowship. The world needs that image. The world cries out every day. The world cries out every day rebuking us pleading with us, wake up and share with us the hope that's within you. There's a hope, and I pray there's a hope in you that you want just to be ignited in the world around you. You want people to know and see and feel. There is no shame in that hope. There's shame in, in all of us because of our sin. But God unrelentingly pursues us with his scandalous grace and lavishes us with love through his son, Jesus Christ. And he puts the wrath of God on Jesus so that we can be freed from that and know true and real everlasting peace. We need to share the hope of, of God with the world. Uh, turn to Ephesians. Keep your finger here. Turn to Ephesians real quick. Chapter 5. <clears throat> we're in chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 13 through 14. It said, everything exposed by the light is made clear. For what makes everything clear is light. See, that, that was true for us, right? We, we were in darkness, and the light showed up and made everything clear. It showed that we were in, in death, and we were separated from God, and that through Christ we could receive eternal life, forgiveness of sin. And that was the light that came into us. And therefore, it said, get up, sleeper, and arise, arise up from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. You and I are not to be sleepers anymore. We have moved from death to life. And the light of the Messiah is shining brightly on us. We are to be a reflection, an image bearer and reflection of God Almighty, that people can see the grace and light of the Messiah through our lives. It is not time for us to go back to sleep. It is time for us to arise, sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you, and you will have life. And we will brightly shine the glory of the Messiah because the world cries out, needing to know. 
We see God's grace show up as the world cries out. Go back to Jonah chapter 1. Number four, how is grace revealed? God exposes his will and our sin. He uses the storm to expose his will and our sin. Let's continue on in our text. Look at it, verse 7. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we will know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Can you imagine that? When, can you imagine the look on Jonah's face when they said, we're going to cast lots? He's like, oh, man, I am in trouble now. God's, I'm not going to say a thing. I'm not going to confess. I'm not going to stand up and say, yeah, it's me. I'm just going to let the chips fall where they might. Jonah really, if you look at this text in depth, he had a death wish. Prophets that rebelled away from God and ran away from God would perish. He, he just said, you know what? I would rather die. I would rather die than go tell the Ninevites about you. And God's like, I'm not done with you quite yet. So they said, we're going to cast lots. He's like, oh, I didn't want to tell them this. I'm not going to tell them this. So they cast lots. They, what are they, they threw dice. They drew a straw, whatever. The, can you imagine that, though? They tick, 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 tick. Who's it going to fall on, right? Oh, yeah. How, what would you have done, right? Sin's exposed now. now. Now the world knows. Now they know it's you. What's going on with you, man? I thought it might be me, but no, it's not. I'm better than that. What's going on with you? What, what would you have done? Right, you, you, you would have wet your pants, yeah, yeah. What would you have done? You see, listen, th- this journey for Jonah isn't an easy one, is it? He thought it was going to be easy, just set sail and head on out, and it is not an easy one. Now they're all looking at him. The, wor- the, the storm is raging against, it's trying to break up what he had put his faith and trust in, and the r- storm is raging against these lives who are on the ship, and, and the lot falls to him. You're the one that's to blame. Maybe, maybe he would be the kind of guy who would just say, I'm, I'm going to contest the results. Let's, let's roll again. Best two out of three, right? Best two out of three. Let's see what happens here. God would have kept doing that. I mean, the finger would have pointed to him every single time, right? I want to recount. Or maybe he, he would point to him and he'd figure out some elaborate story. How, how, yes, I could see why you think it's me, but here's why it's not me. I want to make sure my denial story looks really plausible. It's going to be kind of far-fetched, or maybe a fish story, huh? but it's, it's going to be plausible at least. I'll, I'll explain this away. Don't we do that? We, we find ourselves in sin. We find ourselves in rebellion. And, and, and we start to be exposed and we, we try to explain it away. I, I do that. I mean, that's instinct. I, I want to explain it away. I want to reason it out. This is, this is why I did wrong. And God's like, no, I want to expose. I want to expose you so you can return to me. You repent and return to me. And whatever God thought about the sailors casting lots, it was certainly his intention that Jonah would be exposed. And maybe Jonah would just play it cool. Maybe he'd just, yeah, you think, me? I don't, well, I don't know about that. I'm not really sure what you're talking about. And he'd just say, like, man, hopefully five minutes later that storm's going to die down, and this can just pass by. But it didn't. He, uh, he was figured out. See, God sees our sin. God knows. God knows what you're doing. God knows how you're behaving. Listen, you, can, you, and I, you and I both can come here, can go before our families, can go to work, can go any place and put up the facade we want to put up and maybe mostly get away with that. But God knows. And God is want, and calling you to repentance and restoration with him to return to him. God, listen, it, that sin is going to be exposed. It's going to happen. 
It's better that you and I embrace the grace of God in wanting to expose that sin now and let him begin to heal us than have to try to explain it away when the lot singles us out. Because God will expose our sin. He knows in his grace, in his grace he wants to expose us. Just like the captain of the ship, think about this, the captain of the ship delivering the message to Jonah that his sin had been exposed, Jesus, through the cross, tells us that God has seen our sins. That God has seen our sins and he has made a way for the wrath, the judgment against our sins to be put on Jesus. I remember Isaiah tells us that it pleased God to crush the Messiah on our behalf. Because God loves us. And that, see that there, folks, that is scandalous grace. We deserve everything we have coming, but God put it on Jesus instead. It's in God's scandalous grace that he tells us that we can be forgiven and that we can know peace with God. What he's wanting us to do is to wake up and to repent and to return. Finally, number five, what we see as far as grace in this storm God's people respond in reverent worship to him. God's people respond in reverent worship to him. And you can put a tag on the bottom of this. As you and I respond to him in worship because of what he's done through us, the world begins to properly fear and revere God. We'll see that as the story goes along here. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Then they said to him, so a lot fell on him. Then they said to him, tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and from what, pe- or what people are you from? Here's what they said, like, what, who are you? What, what is your job? Like, like, I've never met, they're saying, I've never met anybody in any, any profession where their God had done this to them to wake them up. Like, what is your profession? What's going on here? See, Scott's scandalous grace at work is almost unbelievable. It's unbelievable. His scandalous grace, the way he lavishes it on us, is unbelievable, even in the middle of a storm. He says, what business are you in? Who who are your people? He said, he answered in verse 9, I am a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, what is this you've done? The men, he, the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told him, told them. The question is, what's your occupation? And whatever it was, he was a prophet of God. He didn't say that, did he? He identified himself nationally, but then he gave it away. He said, what's your occupation? He says, I am a worshiper. Some translations say, I fear the Lord. Now, there's, there's two types of fear here. For someone who has received the mercy of God, we no longer fear the wrath of God. Amen? So we become reverent in our fear, and the way that we fear the Lord is we worship the Lord and give Him the glory and respect that He deserves. The other type is to really fear the wrath of God, and that's what it says these men did, didn't they? When they understood who they were dealing with, when they understood this was the God who created the heavens, this is the God who created the sea and the land, and that's the God who made this storm storm come up. They feared because they knew the weight of their own sin. And when you stand before God and understand the weight of your own sin, you're afraid. Until the wrath of God is released from you and placed on Jesus and and you've trusted and obeyed in that. You've believed the gospel. 
See, when you and I believe the gospel, that we, we, all, whether, we all have different occupations, don't we? We all have different jobs, whether you're retired or not retired, you're young or old. We all have different jobs. We work different professions, maybe many. But as Christ followers, as people who have trusted in Yahweh, the great I am, and, and received his scandalous grace, you and I have one occupation, that we would be worshipers of Yahweh, that we would be glory givers to Yahweh, that when we come together or when we are on our own, all praise goes to him. Because no grace came from me. All grace came from him. We are to be people who respond to God's grace in worship. He said, I am a worshiper of Yahweh. And it became clear the trouble that they were in. Listen, you and I worship God. And the worship of our God is a response to the scandalous grace he has bestowed upon us. And as we worship God in reverent fear and trust and in faith, giving him glory, the world peers in and sees the God that they must have too. It draws them and points them to the Redeemer, the scandalous grace of God. And you and I, as we worship, are walking testimonies of that. Now, Jonah didn't do a very good job of that, did he? He, he just answered them. He said, oh, I'm a Hebrew. That's, that's where I'm from. But he said, I, I worship Yahweh. And that said everything to the sailors. Now we know exactly who we're dealing with. Kind of a roundabout back to point number one, right? And then the Lord and then Yahweh hurled the storm. And Yahweh continues to hurl his unrelenting, scandalous grace to you and to me. And he wants to do it through us to the world around us that they would become worshipers of him too. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you are so great. We're so grateful for who you are that you've unrelentingly pursued us with passion with your scandalous grace. God, in those days, we want you to be a passive God and, and not to really meddle. God, convict our heart. Show us that we need to be exposed for who we are. We need, to, we need to draw near to you and receive the grace we need because, God, as we receive grace and as we worship you, people around us will see and know our God. We love you. We praise you for who you are and what you've done. Wake us up. May we arise and pray and share the grace that we have found. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today our response time is real simple. I want you to remain seated. And, and Dave's going to play a little bit of piano, and I'm going to sit in the front. I just, I just want us to pray. Just pray. Get, get to that place and, and talk to God. Say, God, where's my heart? What do you need to expose in me today? Where do you want me to be? What's the, what's the ship, the thing, the thing I'm placing my trust in, trust in that you want to just wreck so I can be free from that and, and return to you? What's the thing I need to repent of? to be restored back to you or back to my family. Pursue whatever God, wants, whatever God wants to do in your heart now. It's time for you. It's time for me. We will just individually take, we'll take a couple minutes, and I'll get up and close us in prayer. We'll take a couple minutes, just pray individually about what God would do in your heart right now. All right, Dave, let's, let's pray.
Father, help our hearts to not be weary and burdened anymore with sin, with wrong priorities, with trusting in things that will never, ever satisfy. Only you satisfy, Jesus. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would guide us, guide us to, to repent, guide us to be restored and return to you, that we would find ourselves in your good grace. And as we find ourselves there, that we would respond to your grace with worship and obedience so the world would know Jesus. God, we even take time now to pause and, and thank you for the storms you send our way to get our attention, to wake us up. May we not run from those angry and bitter and scared. May we look you in the face as a dad who wants to, to love us and bring us back into a right relationship with you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week, you guys.